Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer at Sportsnet.ca. Joining me on the other line, as always, it's Rory Boylan. Ryan, so we're, we're I mean, people listening to this aren't going to see it, but we're testing with video here this week, and I guess we're back with video next week. So I'm debating on, do I need to cut my hair? How bad does this really look? I, it's playoff time, right? I say let her go, right? Yeah, sure. I don't. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It can be a disaster. It's actually okay right now, but oh, yeah. uh, I've had days where I look like a mad scientist. It's all over the place, and I, I don't know if that's going to translate to these or not. But yeah, I'm no, a li- we'll I'm a little more worried about shine on the other end here, but we'll deal with that <laughs> as we work through. Yes, you mentioned, buddy. It is almost playoff time. Strange as that sounds, we are less than a week from the start of the preliminary round we're getting some exhibition games before that and in keeping with that it is playoff preview time the plan here on tape to tape is to dive into the western matchups this week and then go ahead and take a look at the four eastern preliminary round series next week just days before things kick off on saturday august 1st it's going to be madness it's going to be a lot of fun but yeah today we are looking at the west we're going to break down calgary chicago nashville arizona the all canadian matchup winnipeg calgary and then minnesota and vancouver four canadian teams comprise the eight of the preliminary round squads in the west so let's just dive into this rory we're going to mm-hmm. start with the 5-12 matchup that's edmonton and Chicago got to give a, a stick tap to Leon Dreisaitl for his Hart Trophy nomination. He is a finalist along with Artemi Panarin of the Rangers, Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. We'll see both of those players again at some point this summer. But I think the first word that comes to mind, at least for me, when I look at an Edmonton Chicago matchup is probably fun. Probably. It should be. I mean, both of these teams can score goals in bunches, right? And actually, it might be surprising for some people to learn that in Chicago played one less game than Edmonton and scored more five-on-five goals than the Oilers. Not by much, but they were they were pretty close. But just that stat alone, I it caught my eye, kind of took yep. me back. Um, so if it depends how this series goes. If this is just going to be a shootout, then Chicago might have a little bit more staying power a chance to pull off a a huge upset here it's just it's probably not going to be that simple you know Dave Tippett is one of the best coaches in the game he's he's he doesn't like calling himself a defense first coach and he's certainly got a lot of offense out of this team but he's shown that he can coach teams to be strong on defense he did that with with the Coyotes before coming here to Edmonton and I think he's improved the team defense in Edmonton hugely and that's a big reason why they've been able to take a step up here um it's just the question comes down to defense and like i said edmonton can do it but chicago is one of the most porous teams you know we'll get talking about winnipeg later on they allowed the most high danger chances of any team in the league this year and chicago is second and that's their problem um it it seems like they might even bring brent seabrook back into this series and he's been a, a liability on the blue line for a few years now um, and you also have this question hanging out there for Chicago of what's going on with Corey Crawford. He yeah. hasn't been on the ice for them. Um, they haven't really made clear 
because they can't, what the problem is, if I assume it's got to be an injury at this point. Um, certainly he's got a long track record of those. And if Corey Crawford is not ready to go for game one, uh, then you're probably looking at Malcolm Subban. And now you're stepping back and you're wondering if Chicago knew they were going to be in this position at the trade deadline, maybe you hang on to Robin Lehner. And then you have a, a quality goalie with experience that you could turn to. But now it's this open-ended question. And, and if they have to go with Subban and Ned, you know, no knock on him, but he has no experience. He hasn't been a number one, and you're just putting him right into uh, playoff hockey against Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle, and everything Edmonton can throw at you. That would be a tough ask for anybody. So uh, we can get into this a little bit deeper, but I think I think if it it comes down to if it's just going to be about offense, this could be a close series. But it's probably going to defense is probably going to be a factor, as it always is in the playoffs, and that's where Edmonton um, starts to gain an advantage. That that and special teams too. Well, I mean, you mentioned defense. Of course, we should note uh, Mike Green, um, uh, a pickup for the Oilers at the trade deadline, has opted out. He will not be part of the 2020 playoffs. Um, and, and that's opened a little bit of a door as uh, our man Mark Spector was writing about for for Philip Broberg. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's rapidly rising up the depth chart there. Um, I mean... I think it basically comes down to when you look at the Oilers, you know, their their decor hasn't been all world by any stretch over the past couple of years, but it feels like there's a path to them shutting down certainly the top line of the Blackhawks much more so than when you look at the Blackhawks defense score, you know, especially if you're running McDavid and Dreisaitl on separate lines, driving their own lines, uh, Dreisaitl with Yamamoto uh, and, and McDavid pushing the top line. I just don't know how anyone on that Chicago defense is going to stop, you know, certainly both of those lines. I mean, Duncan Keith, it's, it's going to be like the glory days, 2015, where he's been playing yeah. 27 minutes a night. I guess it's a good thing that he's had five months off and this is the first round, but it's just hard to see where, um, where the Chicago D isn't going to be overmatched by the two lines. The Oilers can throw out there. Yeah. I mean, to your point, Edmonton's defense is, is not, uh, a world beater. It's not one of the best in the league, but but I think it's underrated. Yeah, um, it's getting that way. It is. It really is. I mean, Oscar Kleffbaum is a really fabulous def- d- defenseman, and I don't think anybody would point to him and say, you know, he's a number one defenseman in this league, and I would feel fantastic about having him as my top defenseman. But when you consider that it's him plus Adam Larson, plus Darnell Nurse, plus Ethan Bear, who logged a ton of minutes, more minutes than any, any rookie did this year. Like he, he had a really good season for his age and where he's at in his career that was just overshadowed by too many other spectacular rookie seasons. He never had a chance to be in, in the Calder discussion, but very, very solid. And then you got, you know, Caleb Jones, Chris Russell, Philip Broberg, who you talked about. Maybe there's a a room here for for Evan Bouchard at some point, especially after injuries. But there's there's depth to this blue line that I think a lot of other teams would envy, including uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. So, it to me up and down, it's it's a huge advantage for the Oilers. Duncan Keith is not, you know, the same kind of defenseman that he used to be. But this this four month layoff is going to be a factor that we've never seen before. Everybody's going to be healthy. Everybody's going to be rested and then you start to wonder like what does that mean for someone like Keith or Jonathan Taze like these older guys that have just 
played so much hockey and and you know you go through another losing season and it's tough mentally it's always tough physically but now that you're coming back you're in the playoffs and, and you're fully rested like does that allow them to get any more out of these players and if they are able to do that how much does the team how different do they look coming back from this again it, there's so many there's so much more depth i think in edmonton's lineup everywhere that i think they'll still hold an advantage but they don't have a defenseman like keith if keith does come back refreshed reinvigorated and you know not that they need you know 30 year old 29 year old duncan keith at his peak but some something going back towards that level um could really be a massive positive effect uh, on the blackhawks we mentioned Corey Crawford and the uncertainty surrounding the Hawks crease. What do you make of the Oilers goalie situation where you have two guys yeah. who, you know, kind of share the load? Yeah. I mean, I think they'll go with the hot hand and it might depend on, you know, who looks great coming out of camp. I'm interested to see what they do in that exhibition game against Calgary like next week. Like, do they start one guy or and, and ride him for the whole game or do they split it 50 50 or something close to that to see what they've got it because you want to simulate a, yeah. a game as much as possible but you also want to kind of figure I, out who you're going with yeah i think if i had to guess that they'll ride one goalie in that game and that will be the goalie yeah. who starts game one and i have to think it's going to be mike smith because um he's played more playoff games before uh, he's got that relationship with Dave Tippett, the head coach. Together, they they went to the Eastern Conference or Western Conference Final um, with the Coyotes uh, so long ago. Twenty twelve. Like I was, I was, I was yeah. trying. To, I was thinking. Hang on. When? What? Yeah, yeah, it was a long right, time right, ago. Right. But a long time ago. Exactly. But they they were together for a long time. They're very familiar with each other. You know, Mike Smith also has that playing ability that not a lot of goalies have that can move the puck up uh, to the, the forwards that Edmonton has. So I would be surprised if it's Koskinen, but I would also be surprised if they don't go to Koskinen at some point. Cause I, you know, at this stage, it's hard to expect Mike Smith to be elite every single time he's out there. Um, so whether, whether it's in the Chicago series or if it's sometime after, if they get past Chicago, I have to imagine Smith is going to have a bad game or two and that they'll go to Koskinen um, to start a game here or there. That's just what Edmonton has done all year. They'll ride the hot hand, and I see no reason why uh, they would change that in the postseason. So as long as you're getting the best version of one of these guys on the night that you throw them out, I don't really think goaltending should be an issue for the Oilers. It's, it's just if both of them run cold, that's where it could become a real big problem. Does all of this add up to Edmonton in four games for you? Well, remember this is the best of five, right? Yeah, so yeah. you're going you're going three games if you're picking the sweep. Um, I I'm if I'm not picking three, I'm picking four. I'm okay. picking the Oilers. You know, the one thing that we didn't really drill in on here yet, and I think this is going to be a big difference maker is is special teams. Um, Edmonton was top three in both power play and penalty kill. Um, not a lot of teams ever do that. So. You know, once you get into that kind of like if Edmonton's put on the power play, and it's not that Chicago takes a ton of penalties, but once they get on the power play, they should be able to score. And if you can count on, you know, Connor McDavid either scoring or creating a goal one night, uh, Leon Dreisaitl scoring or creating a goal uh, on that same night, and then you get a special teams goal and you score three, that's pretty good for a win most nights in the playoffs. And, and so I don't think Chicago is going to be able to keep up with what the waves of what Edmonton is going to be able to throw at them. 
you know, the stars up front, you got grinders down below. And like we talked about, just a steady flow of capable defensemen. I don't think Chicago is going to be able to match that. So I got to, I got to figure out games, but I'm definitely going with the Oilers here. Yeah. I'll pick the Oilers as well. You would think with Chicago's offensive weapons, they would have a better power play, but yeah, right near the bottom. And uh, if, if that doesn't change, um, the Oilers could have, as you said, a huge special teams advantage. All right, let's flip over to the 6-11 matchup. That is your Nashville Predators against the Arizona Coyotes. This was an all-in year for the Coyotes. They traded for Taylor Hall just before Christmas, and they were out of the playoff race um, when this season went on hiatus it was definitely trending toward a very disappointing year nashville also quite a disappointing year and was on the bubble all year long and and was still gonna have to fight to get in but based on points percentage was the sixth best team couple interesting developments though for both these clubs coming down the stretch ryan ellis returning he played about 10 games before the break after he had gone out at the winter classic after taking a shot to the head from Corey Perry. And I mentioned Arizona picking up hall. Well, the problem was a couple days later, Darcy Kemper went out of the lineup and they basically never got him back until I think he ended up playing three or four games. I mean, this is a guy who was, you know, clearly the MVP of the, of the team last year was great through the first three months this year. There's a bit of an X factor there because now he's, uh, you know, coming back and completely healthy. I mean, there's a a giant X over all of this for X factor because who knows, you know, what does and doesn't carry over from uh, five months ago. But I just have to think that if I'm Arizona and I'm getting a bit of a do over here with Hall, even who was okay, but but clearly didn't perform, you know, exactly to the degree that they had hoped for i don't know i i'm just curious to see what happens with kemper and if hall can get into a groove are we looking at a bit of a different arizona team than 11th in the conference would have you believe i'm really interested in what hall does in these playoffs because you know it's it's an important factor for him when he becomes a free agent this uh off season i was about to say this summer yeah. this, this off season um he's gonna he said he like he wants to play somewhere where he's gonna have chances to go into the playoffs he's only been there once before five games he played with the new jersey devils in 2018 and he scored six points um so now he's getting this chance again and you know it's not that he was bad he had 27 points in 35 games for the coyotes which was a little bit slower pace than than what he had been doing in New Jersey, but Arizona's also just a lower event team, right? Yeah. So it's it's just it's going to translate that way. So what does he do? Like, how does he perform? Does he score a ton of points? Does he come out and is just you know playing like a like an MVP level Taylor Hall that we saw a few years ago, or you know does this does this add pressure? Does he squeeze the stick harder and it and he's trying? too much and over skating and, and things like that it's you don't really know how these things are going to play out in, until um, the guys get on the ice but he's a huge x factor because if if he is the fully motivated mvp kind of guy like that's that's the kind of performance that could lift uh, arizona out of this series because neither of these teams are are particularly high scoring teams you know anybody who's 
any, anybody who's sitting there saying, I'm going to watch all these NHL games because I've been missing it for four months. This is the series that might really test you because it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be really, really low scoring. It's not going to be one of the most exciting, at least on paper, right? Like yeah. surprises, but on paper, it's not going to be one of those most exciting series, but that's why a, an otherworldly performance from Hall could really change the outlook for the, for the coyotes. If that's what he brings here. Is it just complete complete wishful thinking if you're a coyotes fan to think you could apply some of that to phil kessel as well after his miserable year or do you think the ship has just sailed on phil being uh an impactful player i mean he was dynamite for pittsburgh in the playoffs but um i don't know how much arizona can realistically hope for from him yeah that's a tough one i mean that's another example of a guy that came from an offense that just fit him right yeah. like it, it was perfect for him and, and he comes to Arizona and it just it's not exactly the same I I would be wary of writing off Phil Kessel I feel like we've done it before maybe not us but it happens it has definitely happened throughout his career and he just keeps coming back and performing so you know 38 points in 70 games he had this year that's not anything close to what we've seen from him for a number of years so I would be surprised if he if he performs at a level that, you know, he, he's an X factor. He's a driving force for this team. But it also wouldn't be the most shocking thing. I just don't think he's going to be the guy who's, you know, he's not going to be scoring all the goals. He's going to be having to set up the guys who are scoring the goals. And I think there are more important players. I think Taylor Hall is a more important player. I think Clayton Keller is a more important player. Uh, to this team, you, you could make the argument that someone like Connor Garland is more important because of, of his production. I think because of that, maybe Hall, uh, Kessel kind of slides under the radar a little bit and, and performs more than we're anticipating. But I just don't think I think if that's what you're counting on, if you're counting on Phil Kessel to have to have a monster playoff for you, then that's trouble right away. I think we can assume these guys will be trying to get pucks past UC Soros, who usurped Pekka Rene down the stretch. Is there any doubt that Soros is the game one starter for Nashville? I mean, this is the big question. It's going to be interesting because it's not the first time that we've been wondering on this podcast if Rene was done and if Soros was working his way into that starter's role. It's just that this year it really seemed to happen, right? Like yeah. he was getting the starts. He was, it had turned. He was the number one and he had way better numbers. But now we're sitting here four months off and we're in the playoffs. What decision does Nashville make? Are they really going to turn away from the guy who has been in their crease forever, who has led them to a Stanley Cup final? Um, it would be a hard decision to make, but I, especially because he's got another year on his contract, he's going to be back next season. Both mm -hmm. of these guys are going to be back next season. But I think it's the one that they have to make if they want to give themselves the best chance to win this series. And it's a best of five. Again, there's yeah. no room for error no. there. In a normal year, you can fall behind two games to none, uh, especially on the road, and find a way to win that series. You fall behind two games to none now, that's pretty much insurmountable. That's really difficult to do. So it would be hard to make the call to move away from Rene. I think that's the one that they have to do. Um, certainly if they go to him in game one and he plays poorly, you got to make that call right away for game two. It's got to be Soros and you can't look back again, but it's going to be interesting. Like Soros, his numbers are great, but he's also one of those smaller goalies, right? It, usually it's the big goalies that are winning these jobs and are in our winning playoff series. Soros is a little different in that regard. He's small, but he's quick. And again, he's been the better goalie of the two this year. So I think that's where they have to go. But, but I still think that's an unanswered question until we get to the exhibition games next week. 
Nashville really has a chance to flip the script on its season here. Cause as I said, I mean, it, it really was a, just a flat year, I guess, for this mm-hmm. team that had really quite high expectations in October. I mean, they've got that awesome top pair with uh, Roman Yossi, the Norse nominated Roman Yossi and, and Ellis, who's probably going to be a, on a Norse short lift himself before too long uh matt duchene's first year there this will be obviously his first playoff run with this team i mean do you think there is a chance for them to kind of put the pieces they imagined in place and go on a bit of a run a hundred percent there's too much on this team um if they get the goaltending figured out you know that they have the advantage on the blue line compared to almost anybody in yeah yeah they might be the best blue line hands down um, and Roman Yossi is going to be the leader there. Um, the reason why their goals were, were so disappointing this year is a lot of guys had down years, like Philip Forsberg, 48 points in 63 games. Matt Duchesne, 42 um, in 66. I mean, Victor Arvidsson, who has for a couple of years been among the league leaders in, in goals per game at 5-on-5, five five, had just 15 in 57 games this year. Um, you know, this is a guy who scored 29 or sorry, 31, 29 and 34 the last three years. So there's all this upside that they haven't tapped at all this year. That's just hanging there, right? Like, is it going to finally click here? And that, that what, that's, what's going to tip the scales. If they find any of that, it doesn't have to be all these guys. If two of them, if one of these lines gets clicking, then that's an advantage they have over the, the coyotes that the coyotes are going to be hard, hard pressed to, to live up to. I just think you look up and down this lineup again, depth is way in favor of, of the predators here experience way in freight favor of the predators here um, with four months off, you come back fresh. Um, you never know what effect that's going to have on any of these teams, but Nashville, especially they just felt like they were going through the motions this year. They didn't seem like they were playing all that inspired. You know, when we left them, there were, you know, it was legitimate to wonder, like, what kind of changes do they have to make in the offseason because it just seems like they need a shakeup of some kind. But if you come back with a fresh mind and everybody is kind of getting back to some level of what they've been at before on offense, then Nashville should be able to win this series and maybe even go on a couple rounds run. It's not that long ago that they were in the Stanley Cup final, and it's basically more or less still the same team. So, absolutely they they have the upside that arizona just does not arizona wins this series if it goes to paper i think but the upside is all nashville here yeah i agree with you this is going to be a bit of a of a death match and um you know i could see it arizona can keep games tight and close and i could see it going to five but i will also um i'm also going to go with the preds on this all right When we come back, we're going to be talking mini Vancouver and the all-Canadian matchup, Winnipeg and Calgary, breaking down the other two Western Conference preliminary round series right after the break. I'll tape to tape. Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. All right, Rory, we've been through 
two of the series. We talked about Chicago, Edmonton, Nashville, Arizona in the first block. Now let's dive into the 7-10 matchup, the Vancouver Canucks. But a surprisingly good year, I would say, versus the Minnesota Wild, which had one of the weirdest years because they were basically left for dead and possibly rebuilding in mid-January. And then they became a top five team points percentage-wise for two months. They fired Bruce Boudreaux. They bring in Dean Evason. And Kevin Fiala becomes an offensive star. And all of a sudden, here they are in the playoffs. And they're going to be in what I think will be a real tight series against the Canucks. If momentum counted for anything here, we'd be talking about Minnesota running away with this series. But it's like, it probably doesn't mean anything. So what are you going to get from these Minnesota Wild? Because to your point, I mean, you, you hit it on the head. They were a completely different team in the last two months of the season. Everything was changing for them. Um, it looked like they were just hitting the peak at the right time where they were going to go on a streak, you know, get into the top eight, get into the playoffs. And then usually teams that enter the playoffs hot continue hot and, and are able to win at least around maybe two. Um, but now that all could be out the window. Um, you know, Vancouver was, Vancouver was not a- as successful down that stretch. And part of that was injuries. I mean, Jacob Markstrom was missing time. But now he's going to be back, and he was their MVP all season. So Minnesota's going to have to deal with that while they're dealing with their own goaltending questions. So it's not like the Wild are perfect here, and it's really hard to know. Like, is is the Wild we saw just before the break the Wild we're going to see when games pick up again, or is there going to be a little rust to work out here? It really is. It really is hard to to say what we're going to get out of them. So, I mean, you said it. Markstrom was uh, an MVP almost uh, for this Canucks team. Um, You know, they're obviously banking on him finding that form. There's also a name that I think a lot of people might forget is associated with the Canucks. Tyler Toffoli came over in the trade deadline deal with Los Angeles. What do you make of what we see on Vancouver, both uh, up front and um, and on the back end? Well, I mean, up front, the, the thing I would start with is um, Elias Pedersen and how is he going to handle the playoffs? Um, obviously, he's one of the better players in the game, can score in the regular season almost at will, but it changes in the playoffs, right? It gets harder. There are fewer penalties that generally get called um, especially someone like him who's he has a slight build right I, I was gonna say it's, it's bad news for really skinny guys exactly exactly <laughs> he's a skinny guy it's gonna be easier to push him around than you know a Toffoli someone who's had a little bit more time to build out their frame sure. in the NHL and everything like that uh, he's 21 years old so how is he gonna handle that how is he gonna fight through um, that kind of competition, which he hasn't really seen uh, before. And then what effect is that going to have on JT Miller, who the two of them were just phenomenal this year. I mean, JT Miller was amazing uh, for the Canucks. But, you know, if Pedersen takes a hit to production, what's that going to do for Miller? Pedersen is the one driving this line. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, Toffoli was, Toffoli was a really nice deadline pickup. Um, he's got experience. So anything that that is any down that we get from Pedersen potentially could be made up for by uh, some of the more grizzled, for lack of a better term, yeah. vets that have been there before. They're not going to put up sky-high numbers, but they can kind of get enough done that that maybe you can get through. 
I like Vancouver's defense. If it can stay healthy, that's always the question mark around them. Like can Edler, can Tanev, can these guys last all these games or are they going to go down? And, and when they go down, if they get hurt, then you, then it, gets to be a real problem there's not a lot of depth on that vancouver blue line so they've got to stay healthy for sure um it it really is just a question of you know is there enough experience on this vancouver team that this was a year about taking the next step for them and for them that meant getting into the playoffs they've accomplished that now um now how are they going to respond to this is this team as built ready to not just get to the playoffs but went around and do a little damage at the start of the year. It looked like they could be a really good team that could stick around. And then, you know, the rigors of the season kind of take the Mm -hmm. toll and they fall back to what more we expect. Um, But can they, after four months off and time to recover again, saying this about everybody, but are they more prepared now to be able to take that step or are they going to just be, you know, first year team back in the playoffs, happy to be here first round fodder and out because the wild, have more experience to draw from overall, I think, than the Canucks do. But on paper, they seem to have the weapons necessary to be able to get past this series. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, there's just so many, um, you know, moving parts or just new elements, I guess, to the wild. When you look at, like I said, Fiala just taking off in the second half of the season. I mean, you forget about the Jason Zucker trade that returned Alex Galchenyuk, who who looked pretty okay um, playing for the wild. And, um, you know, you've got a guy like Matt Zuccarello in his first run with the team. I mean, the wild are team out in the first round, right? That's usually the way things go for them. So it's a, it's an interesting matchup from, from that vantage point. Um, I don't know. Are are we looking at basically a coin flip here? Do you think? Oh man. Um, yeah, more or less. I mean, look, it's easy to say, you could say for every series that it comes down to goaltending, but I think in this one, especially that's going to ring true because, like we said, Markstrom was Vancouver's team MVP when he was healthy this year. Um, and he's playing for a contract from someone. Um, so yeah. he's got that motivation as well. But it, it really looked like he was an elite goalie this year. And if he's at that level, he could carry this team a couple of rounds. Minnesota, I'm not even sure who their goalie is going to be. I, I would imagine it's probably going to be Alex Stalock because he was the better of the two. But Dubnik has for so long there been the goalie. It's almost the same thing as, as Nashville, though yeah. Dubnik hasn't been around as long. Um, do you move to Stalock? Who is, you know, he's not coming out of it nowhere. He's been in the league forever, but he's never been a starter and he's never been a guy you can count on in the playoffs. So is that who you go to? That's the big wild card here. Min- Vancouver knows who they have and they know they can count on that guy. There's a lot less certainty there on Minnesota's side. So. To me, it comes down to who's going to have the better goaltending. And, and I know that's a cop-out, but the easy answer there for me is Vancouver is going to come out of this with the better goaltending, and that's why I'm going to pick them to win in four games. Four games. I'll go five. All right. Last series and our first one that involves uh, two teams, both from north of the border, Calgary Flames, Winnipeg Jets. We know Travis Hamanick will not be part of Calgary's team Uh, he opted out of this tournament for family reasons and um, certainly understand the decision that's a a tough one for Calgary though he logs a lot of minutes on that blue line you know you and I have talked a lot we talked to Ken Weeb last week about 
the uh, the Jets blue line, lots of ink spilled there over the course of the last 12 months about all the departures that left Winnipeg shorthanded there. You mentioned and we were talking about Chicago, the worst team from a surrendering high danger chances standpoint at Winnipeg Jets. But uh, a lot of studs up front for the Jets and, and also for Calgary. Um, could be some fireworks here. We know, again, it's going to be a huge factor. Connor Hellebuck, a Vesna-nominated goalie, probably the best goalie in the league this year. Far more uncertainty on the other Calgary side. I, I think that alone steers you in Winnipeg's direction, but there's, I feel like, a lot that could happen in this series given some of the offensive talent involved. Yeah, this is one where if you look at the analytics, it's and that's all you made your decision on, you would probably pretty easily pick Calgary. Um, but this is this is one where I might go the opposite direction just for a feeling and because I think Winnipeg is better constructed for playoff hockey. Um, they like you said, their their defense just allows high quality chances at an absurdly high rate, which puts a massive uh, pressure on Hellebuck, and you know he was great this year. But you legitimately wonder, like, how much is that going to translate yeah. to this after and all this and time? And he slowed right? a little bit over the course of time. You know, he, he did came, came out yeah. super hot. But you wonder if he got a little worn down. Yeah, and it's not like he's been this good or close to this good every year of his career. He, like his career has been up and down. So yeah. it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if if Hellebuck was you know closer to average than exceptional that he was this year. Um. You know, Calgary has a is a huge advantage on special teams. They were twelfth in power play and eighth in penalty kill, and the Jets were fifteenth in power play and twenty second in penalty kill. Um, but the reason why I'm more leaning towards the Jets than those numbers would indicate is that I think they're better built. I think they're bigger, stronger. I think they can score more. And I wonder this is this is the big question that's hanging over Calgary is is that top line of of Gaudreau, Monahan, Lindholm. Like, is that a line that you can rely on to drive you through a playoff round or two, especially through a team that's just going to be hard to fight through, like Winnipeg is, both up front and on the back end? A lot of big bodies there. Um, you know, last year when Calgary got uh, eliminated, upset by the Colorado Avalanche, that top line combined scored five points. It, not even close to good enough. Um, so if they're not able to do it this year, then we're going to go into a, an offseason of questions around Goudreau. Um, you know, maybe they should trade him and all that stuff, or maybe they explore that with Monaghan. These are going to be legitimate questions because that'll be two underperforming uh, playoffs in a row. And this, I think, is just a bad match for that line. I, I think Winnipeg is just going to be able to take it to them. It's going to be hard for them to fight through. It's going to put a lot of pressure then on Matthew Kachuk on that second line. And then you go to the third line where you've got Sam Bennett, uh, maybe Milan Lucic is there. I mean, those guys could give you something in the playoffs, but Sam Bennett has a pretty good playoff track record, actually. But again, like they're not going to be the high output difference makers that I think you're going to see from Winnipeg. Like Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler on the same line together could be absolutely unstoppable. And then wherever you end up putting Line A or Ehlers, Kyle Connor is probably going to be on that top line too, but all those wingers, like you can spread them out all you want. All of them can score. They, they can go on streaks. Like one of them could have a great series and that could be enough. Two of them could be on, on at the same series. And then you're looking at a team that could look like a Stanley cup contender. So it's just a matter of, of who's on. And I think it's going to be tough 
for the Flames to get enough offense considering that they are shooting against maybe the best goalie this year and also having their top line, which is more or less undersized, having to fight through a big team. That's going to be, that's going to be tough for them to do. Yeah. Ked Wee was writing about it uh, this week at sportsnet.ca. I mean, Kyle Connor really does get lost in the mix there. He was going to score 40 goals this year and you know, they can move him around when it's time to try and get a different line uh, going a little bit. I mean, he, you always talk about uh, Wheeler Shifley on, on that top line, but man, he's a guy who's just really become such a dangerous player on the left side. He's so consistent. Like he's, He's one of the better goal scorers in the league, not because he's going to score 50 every year, but you know what you're going to get. Like he's, yeah. he's a lock for 30. It seems almost every year. And now we're talking about him, maybe taking a step up to be in a 40 goal score. And, you know, should have seen this coming in his draft year because he was scoring goals before he got to the NHL at every single level that he ever played at. He set a team record for um, the USHL team that he played for. Um, he's always a great skater. Like these things translate to the NHL. And so the fact that he's landed here and has had multiple years of really consistent high goal scoring shouldn't be a surprise. And he still, he still gets lost behind, you know, Mark Shifley is, you know, the number one center on this team in a phase. Blake Wheeler is the captain. Patrick Liney is the high draft pick who came out and scored a ton of goals in his first year. And, and he's a bit of a character too. Hellebuck is the Vesna guy. You had a lot of, personalities and even Paul Maurice, I feel like you talk about before, you know? Yeah, exactly. So there's all these guys, you know, and, and, and Connor isn't, you know, he's, he's not outspoken in the media. There's nothing that he does that really focuses the attention on him, except he just scores goals, which is all you're trying to accomplish here. So, you know, having him as like almost a, a second tier offensive producer is absurd. He'd be a first line, first tier offensive a contributor for any other team, it seems. And he's just kind of lost in the shuffle of everything else that's going on. And that speaks to the depth here. And that's why Winnipeg can throw three lines of high upside offense at you. Calgary kind of gets tapped out after that second line. And even that second line is stretching it a little bit um, with only one or maybe two guys that you can count on. So uh, Winnipeg just has so much offensive upside here. It's just, is there... Can their defense improve at all from what it was in the regular season? It's hard to say that it will because, you know, you haven't made any personnel changes or anything like that. It's the same coaching staff. It's going to be the same general game plan. But it's just in playoff hockey, again, it, it's just more physical. And, and that's what Winnipeg is built for. That's what they're built to play. And it lends itself to playoff hockey. Well, Calgary's facing the same question as the other Alberta team when it comes to goaltending. Cam Talbot or David Riddick, is this uh, is there a clear path in your mind or is this another hot hand gets the job deal? I mean, probably the hot hand. It was trending towards Cam Talbot being the starter when the pause hit. Like if you asked me in mid-March, there was no pause. Who's going to be Calgary starter when the playoffs start in April? The answer would have been Talbot easy. It's just confused now with the pause, um, what you do, because David Riddick is this is their number one. Cam Talbot's going to be a free agent this year. And the plan was that Riddick was the guy, and it just hasn't worked out that way. So I think this one, even more so than Edmonton, because there's no long-lasting direct relationship between head coach and goalie here, it's really going to matter who's playing well in camp. 
Um, this one, I really do wonder if they split that exhibition game or not to see. Um, it's probably again, it's probably not the preferred way, but this is this is going to be a really tough call. It really is going to be the hot hand who you go with here, just because of where they left things. That's all I have to really go on right now. Talbot would be the guy, but it's tenuous at best. It, it's really 50-50. Sounds like you're coming down on the side of the Jets. I'm coming down on the side of the Jets. I I I think this could be a three-game sweep, honestly. Oh, wow. I, I, I just think Winnipeg has so much more going for them than Calgary. I mean, Calgary certainly has upside. Um, you could say that you could easily say their blue line is better. That's where they have the advantage. But I just don't know if that alone is enough. I, I, I just think Winnipeg is so well built for the playoffs. Paul Maurice um, is such a good coach. He's he's proven capable of getting his guys ready, and that's that's going to be an important aspect for any of these teams, right? Is th- this might be a year where you really see the best coaches helping their teams, whereas normal years, you know, you're you're riding momentum, you're riding a year of dealing with stuff, you're you're dealing with injuries at a point, but now everybody's generally fresh. Coaching could be a bigger factor than normal here. And, and Paul Maurice would hold the advantage there. I just think there's way more advantages in Winnipeg's favor than Calgary's, uh, which is why I would pick a sweep. You got to pick a sweep at some point, right? And so this, this, this is where my gut is taking me. <laughs> well, I'll take the Jets too. So we'll have to agree that we will disagree on all four next week after okay. <laughs> uh, we both made the same picks this time out. So to recap, we both got Edmonton over Chicago, Nashville over Arizona, Vancouver over the Wild and the Jets over the Flames. Those are your four Western Conference preliminary round matchups. Next week, we will tackle the East. The teams are bubble-bound on what? Sunday, is it, Rory? They head to their hub cities? Yep. Yeah, so the next time we connect, there'll be some exhibition games actually already going on, but the teams will be in the bubble, and yes, playoff hockey of a sort anyways is you know, basically just over a week away. So thanks, as always, to our producer, Michael Mayers. Thanks to my co-host, Sportsnet's NHL editor, Rory Boylan. As I said, we will be doing the Eastern Conference next week on Tape to Tape. So make sure you check back for more glass-rattling hockey action then, right here on Tape to Tape.